Recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles in West Bend, Wisconsin, this is the Crimson Cowl Comic Club Podcast. Welcome to Issue 5, dear listeners and readers. I'm Anthony. I'm David. I'm Katie. And I'm Kurt Stapp. We are jumping into the spoiler section first, talking about The Astonishing X-Men, number six, by Charles Soule and Mike Del Mundo, Life of X Conclusion. We are trapped in the Shadow King's web. All strands have led here. We have seen sacrifice, battle, manipulation, lies, and the darkest truths. Now, at last, Charles Xavier and his X-Men will save one world and lose another. All right, so yes, of course, this is the conclusion to the first story arc of Astonishing X-Men. And uh, up to this point, we've had um, Charles Xavier, Professor X, uh, trapped uh, on the astral plane. His consciousness, even though he's physically dead, his consciousness has uh, survived death and is... Uh, has been imprisoned by the Shadow King on the astral plane. Um, and his brain has been once passed around like the Red Skull for a little bit. Yeah. He was able, like, right after... Yeah, uh, they, they kind of shared it, passed it around. <laughs> you yeah, know, Red Skull like had they it grafted mm-hmm. to, his, uh, to his brain for the time being, or for, for a time, um, and that caused all kinds of uh, yeah, interesting things to happen. Uh, first... I guess in the pages of uh, Uncanny Avengers, and then throughout the Marvel Universe, um, that that's what led to uh, some of the villains being turned good and some of the heroes being turned evil for a while. Yeah, the Axis You're event. Right. Yeah, right. yeah. So surrounded that. So, um, so I don't know how long you know he was actually imprisoned in the astral plane by the Shadow King because time. Uh, kind of transpires differently, and you know it's been for like a thousand years there. Uh, it's a long time to be chained to a chair. <laughs> well, we should note that Shadow King is also trapped there, not necessarily mm-hmm. by Xavier, but he can't get out of here either with nobody. <laughs> right. um, and so we've seen the lineup of X Men that was kind of brought together um, through these circumstances. Um, surrounding the story, um, it's kind of a, yeah, I, I guess you could say just a random, uh, group of, of X-Men that happened to be, happened to to answer the call at, at the first issue. Yeah, and it was like a lot of, uh, the people that were being contacted through, uh, through, uh, um, Psylocke. She was kind of connecting with a bunch of people and kind of people being affected and right. And Initially, kind of something was hunting down uh, psychic-powered uh, X- mutants. Yeah, or, um, and uh, so this this team kind of formed through that. She she kind of sent out the psychic call and people answered. And most of this group um, went to the astral plane uh, to see what was going on and. To get to the bottom of it, um, some of them returned, although possessed mentally by Shadow King, um, and, a, and a few 
stayed behind, uh, Professor X and Shadow King had this kind of this uh, uh, psychic game of chess going on. And so they were using, you know, the, this group of X-Men as, as the players. Um, so throughout this whole thing, you know, you've seen, um, seen the Shadow King getting stronger and stronger and taking over some of these, uh, these X-Men. And it's got to the point where in issue number six, um, it appeared that Professor X had lost the game, but, um, old, old Chuck, he, uh, he, he had a little trick up his sleeve. Um, you got the Shadow King to admit that he had cheated and, uh, turns out, uh, Professor X wasn't playing fair either. So, <laughs> so he had, uh, he, he had a plan. Um, but, uh. But what really is the um, the big spoiler in this issue is that um, it's the return of one character and the apparent loss of another. Um, because, uh, you know, at, at the end, it turns out uh, that uh, Phantom X, Mystique, and Rogue um, are in on Professor X's plan at the end. Mm -hmm. They're able to fight him on the astral plane. Uh, which the, the Shadow King's powers are just spread too thin. He loses his hold. Um, you know, he's grown confident, you know, over this thousand years in astral plane time that Professor X uh, couldn't escape. And so he's, yeah, over time, kind of loosened up on the chains and everything. And now his powers are spread out between the X-Men, uh, between all the, the people. He's trying, uh, to that, that he's, he's trying to transform all the people into kind of his... Mental slaves on the main plane. Too. Yeah, so there was a few of those X Men. What in London? I think it was. Yeah, yeah. that uh, were kind of yeah. fending Logan off. And uh, well, there are two who were left who hadn't been taken over on the main plane. That was Archangel and uh, Psylocke, and then taken over already were Gambit and Old Man Logan, and right as as they lost their Bishop. little. Yeah. Their little games on the astral plane, the Shadow King uh, claimed them physically. Mm. Um, but yeah, but between all these different people that he's taking over, uh, playing this game, keeping uh, Charles bound, and then uh, the attack at the end, he was just weakened just enough that uh, Professor X was able to um, free himself and seemingly destroy the Shadow King. Now... I believe the conversation started in issue five. He started a conversation with Phantom X. And that, uh, that conversation, the end of the conversation is kind of revealed. Um, and in, in number six here. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's revealed that Phantom X has uh, basically admitted that he's a horrible person. You know, <laughs> uh, you know and, uh, in, in a turn of events, he kind of wants to make amends in some way. Um, so the big reveal is he sacrifices himself physically. Um, and so Professor X is now back, but in Phantom X's, X's body, body, and wishes to just be called X. <laughs> um, so that's the, that's the big reveal. We got this now younger version of Professor X. And it's, it's really weird. Sometimes the artwork in comics, um, you know, there's so many characters are drawn similarly. You look at him when he takes off the mask, 
and you're like, wait, is is this a young Professor X with hair? Uh, is this is this actually Phantom X? Because you look at it and you can you can totally see Professor X with with hair there. Yeah. And also the series had a different artist for each issue as part of the the model of it too. Yeah. So you get a different style each time, and yeah. so that can play into right. it as well. Um, yeah. So it's it's tough to say at at this point. You know, we're we're finishing off the storyline, but it's kind of beginning the next arc. And so right now we don't know. Uh, there's a lot of questions that we don't have answers to. Uh, Professor X is, you know, he's in Phantom X's body. Is he supposed to look like Professor X, or is he supposed to look like Phantom X? Because we've never really seen Phantom X, so we really don't um, know. Yeah, I, I haven't read a lot with him, so I haven't. <laughs> yeah, I no, haven't. I don't, I don't think they've ever, like, so as I'm far not. as I know, in the X-Men sort of continuity, they've never shown us right. what Phantom X looks like. And, and he reveals himself to Psylocke, who at one point had had a, a relationship with Phantom X, so that's got to be a, a pretty big shocker for her. Um, so yeah, we're not sure. And then we don't know, is he going to have the Professor X powers, or is he going to have uh, Phantom X's or powers? Both. Uh, yes, or both. Um, or none. Wait. You know, how, how does it work? You know, if, uh, if having Professor X's physical brain gave... Uh, Red Skull, Professor X's powers, uh, you know, are those powers linked to him physically? He's survived uh, death, you know, in, in some way, his, his mind, his consciousness has. So does his powers transcend uh, his, his physical body, and therefore being in Phantom X's body, will he still maintain those powers? You know, we, we don't know these things. Additionally, we don't know what's really become of Phantom X. Is this a permanent thing? Is Phantom X actually gone? Is he left behind in the astral plane? Uh, you know, is there room for a comeback? Are they sharing consciousness? Uh, yeah, is it, is it uh, a superior Spider-Man, Doc Ock, Peter Parker type thing where he's in there and we'll hear from him? Uh, you know, those, those things we don't know. Uh, the biggest question to me was, why didn't they just clone Professor X's body again? You know, a lot of people probably forget because this happened so many years ago that Professor X's body was was already a cloned body. He he physically died once and, or, well, not died, but to to fix him, I believe uh, the Shi'ar had cloned. Yeah, but it was a body. different circumstance at that particular point. What happened, as I, and I have to think back now. This was at the 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 last time Professor X died. Was at the end of the conflict that was going on between Cyclops' forces and the other X-Men, and Cyclops is the one who killed it. Yeah, the Avengers versus X-Men. No, it wasn't the Avengers versus. It was the two X teams were squared off against each well, other. Well, they. Well, actually, that. I think when. Uh, yeah. See, now we got to think of all the times <laughs> that Professor X has actually died. Because Bishop shot him in the head once, seemingly killed him, and then his body disappeared, and he was brought back, and then he was fine after that. Uh, but Cyclops, uh, when he had the uh, Phoenix power, mm. is, is, is when he one, killed yeah. him, and that's his most recent death. Yeah. So. And at that point, they weren't. And when it, that happened, they weren't in any position where somebody could grab him right away and do something. They would have had to get back to one of their bases or whatever and be able to to resurrect him. And they weren't particularly in a position to do that. At um, 
So yeah, I mean, we'll we'll see what happens if this is a permanent thing. Uh, you know, maybe it's just a a way to get rid of a character that a large amount of people didn't really care about. Yeah, Although I'm sure, no, I'm sure <laughs> that he had some fans out there. But uh, but I think there's a lot of people that also didn't care at the same time. So, um, you know, was this just their way of going, okay, Professor X, we're, we're trying to get um, a lot of things back to how they were. Right. The I think, to me, that was the main push on this. They've been trying to re reestablish Xavier's dream as the driving force behind uh, the X-Men. Well, it's hard to do that if you don't have... Professor X. Yeah. Right, we're, we're bringing back all the originals, not just, not just the young, time-displaced ones, but the the originals. They're, uh, the resurrection of uh, Wolverine and Jean Grey and things that either have happened or coming up. Um, you know, I figure it's only a matter of time before we see Cyclops back, and somehow or another he'll be completely fixed of all the... Uh, the, the um, <coughs> The wrong decisions or bad decisions or whatever that that a lot of people consider that you know he's he's done. Although if you think about it, that really goes back a long ways. <laughs> but um, but at this point, it seems like it's only a matter of time before they bring him back because that's what they're doing there. You know, they're they're going back to uh, the status quo. And... Right. Well, what I found really interesting, and I hadn't thought about it in the first five issues of this, but they kind of brought you around to it. Um, at the very end of this particular issue, oh, actually throughout this issue, that this isn't just a random selection of X-Men that got thrown in here either. In some ways, these are the most damaged X-Men. Um, Rogue, whose identity has changed a million times, can't touch anybody, is part of the team. You've got Old Man Logan, who comes back from an apocalyptic future, feeling he's responsible for what happened. You've got... Um, You've got, uh... <laughs> and we have always have room for another David here. Another David. Um, you've got Gambit, who's a thief, lost his place in the Thieves' Guild, trying to struggle to find out who he is. Phantom Max, who's trying to figure out what his reality and who, who he really is as a person. Um, Archangel, who's battling with what his identity is. These are all the most, in some ways, psychologically fragile X-Men that are in the continuity right now. And that's what makes up this group. And well, and it was it was kind of a mix. And Professor X, when revealing his, his endgame, uh, admits that. And it does seem as though it was a random group, but he admits it was fortunate that it was this particular group that was picked. Um, because those who couldn't uh, change enough, uh, that were... They were damaged and couldn't change, couldn't allow themselves to change. Those were the ones that the Shadow King was able to successfully uh, take over. But Professor X needed that to happen in order to weaken him. Um, but he also had some who were adaptable enough. Well, their, their damage was more a kind of flexibility they gained as well. So... Um, Rogue, not sure of her identity, is always flexing between different people. Um, and Phantom X, with his power of illusion, his whole life is about illusion. And what does that really establish? So you have all these. But it was interesting to realize, yeah, this is really the most damaged group of X-Men 
that are in the continuity right now. And I think that that may be, I mean, I found this the, the best of the X books right now. And I think maybe it's, that's part of it. That sense of these aren't the pristine, <laughs> really great X-Men. These are the X-Men who have gone through hell and now are trying to struggle with what does that mean? Um, right. And starting off with this book, um, it was kind of a it was kind of a mix. Um, about half the team were characters that I didn't care about, and half of them were characters that I did care about. Um, and I wanted to give it a chance, but it, it held my interest, and I wanted to see where it was going. And I even considered it a few times that, eh, maybe I'll just finish out this this story arc, and then I'll move on. But it it really has left me, you know, wanting to continue and go. Okay, what what are they doing? Where are they going from here? Um, so now, you know, I've got to keep going. I got to pick up. Issue number seven. And they did their job this time. Right. Yep. Is, is Professor X going to stick with this group or go find a better one? Now that, he, <laughs> now that he's young, he could go get the other young X-Men. Yeah, go get my original X-Men and start over. They could all relate. You know, it's, it's hard to say. And, um, you know, I was I was almost wondering if there was going to be some, some change-ups in the team right after the whole Mojo story. Uh, having thrown a bunch of different X-Men together. And there wasn't right away, but I'm assuming that it's coming because you see the, the, the X-Men Red team, uh, at least one of the characters uh, is, is Nightcrawler, who's playing a pretty, you know, pretty significant role in X-Men Gold right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not the most significant character over there, but uh, but there's things going over there that's kind of like it makes me wonder. Okay, what are they going to do over there? That they're taking him from that team, mm-hmm. and uh, so there there might be some change ups as we get more and more X Men books going. <laughs> and they can always create a new title for you know, yeah. We don't have X Men Black yet, or <laughs> plenty of col- <laughs> plenty of colors left out there. Chartreuse X Men Chartreuse. We'll move on over to uh, The Walking Dead, number 174. This is by Robert Kirkman and Charlie Adler. A Solitary Life. The sad, sorry, solitary life of Negan. Face it, true believers. He deserves this. I assume you have to say true believers like that, so... (laughs) Copyrighted, and you have to pronounce it like that, so... Well, maybe you don't have to, but you should. (laughs) Yeah, you should. It's recommended. (laughs) Um, before we kick off into this issue, we should say that this is the 75th issue of Negan. As he made his debut this issue, uh, he's had quite the, quite the journey from, uh, his introduction issue 100 and, uh, really changing the pace of the book and kind of really creating a rift for all the characters. And, uh, he's had some lasting effects and in the last, uh, couple arcs here, he's been, um, Kind of uh, forgiven and accepted in some in some terms, where but they're always keeping an eye on him. Yeah. But not not everybody has forgiven and accepted him, though. As you'll and see that's in this the issue, significance yeah. of uh, of this issue. I mean, if we if we want to jump right into that, yeah. yeah. Um, now, Walking Dead uh, readers and those who have kept up with the TV show know that. <laughs> Uh, Negan brutally killed Glenn, you know, at, at uh, one point, I don't know, countless issues and episodes ago now. Um, 
And so even though we're we're a couple years ahead of that now in the comics, he's never been confronted um, by Maggie. To the point where he didn't even know exactly. He, he guessed it, but... Right, he, he didn't, he didn't know. even they know what they They haven't like. even seen each other um, in, in the comic at this point. Um, so through all this, she knew that he was alive. She disapproved of Rick keeping him alive and... He, even more so once he was free. Um, so things have died down a little bit in in the story to where she was able to, you know, finally go and confront him. And we start off kind of before that where we see Negan, um, probably because things have slowed down a little bit and he has a, a chance to reflect. And he's... Uh, um, He's mourning the loss um, of, well, Lucille. But uh, as he as he puts it, he he acknowledges he's not mourning his baseball bat. He's mourning the loss of his wife, who the bat is named for. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always just this representation of his of his wife who died. Um, so he's going through this, and he's mourning her. And kind of reflecting, I think, on who he is, what he's done, what does he have left, and concluding that he's got nothing left. He's all all alone. Um, until until he, had, he briefly, yeah. <laughs> briefly finds a new bat. Yeah, we see this <laughs> beautiful new bat in the barn, just, you know, light shining on it, and he's just, uh, you know... Lucille too. That's an uh, Arrested Development reference there, but yeah, uh, another Lucille has maybe come into the picture in the form of a right, bat, so. right. And I don't think he ever gets around to naming it. No, but, no. Uh, but he does find himself some uh, some barbed wire to wrap Walk, around, walking it. past the fence there. You know, he starts talking to it, uh, explaining how uncomfortable the barbed wire will be, but it will grow to be like a like a, a skin that uh, can't. <laughs> Can't live without. What? How romantic. <laughs> and I do want to mention, uh, for those not here, those are listening at home, um, the youngest David that just uh, attended the club table here, he's actually kind of dressed as Negan. I noticed that this morning. <laughs> it, it, actually, he, that's not the first time that's been referenced. Uh, okay, yeah, he wears the jacket, even the color of the hoodie. He yeah, just, he does, doesn't have a scarf, but he's wearing a hoodie with a red. But be assured uh, he has no bag. Yeah, I'm looking around, yeah, and you know, things are pretty safe right now. So It wasn't really intentional, but this is kind of my new look, so I guess... I guess the Negan look's going to stick. So the appropriate response would be, I am Negan, as they say <laughs> yeah. in, the, in the show and the comics. And it's a leather jacket. It's not the correct kind of jacket, <laughs> Negan, but but I yeah. will say that he does have one. I have one at home. Slower. Maybe I should start wearing it. Yeah. <laughs> you could be the Carl to, you know, Rick is to Negan then, so... Um, but yeah, like you said, you know, as he's doing that and he's kind of prepping a new bat and kind of wrapping it up and you, you feel that over in the last, you know, couple issues as he's been helping the good guys, but also kind of kept and treated, you know, like a bad guy, but he's definitely helped them out in the situations and saving Rick and things like that. Um, as he's going through this, you feel that, all right, we're getting back to what Negan is and the kind of character and we figured, okay, something big's going to happen. He's gotten over it. He's getting new bat, but then that's when Maggie shows yeah, up. Yeah, you kind of see this this 
fire in his eyes almost, and and you think Negan as he was will will be back. But yep, then uh, sure enough, Maggie shows up, and uh, he he completely turns around once uh, once he's got that gun pointed at him. <laughs> um, not turned around to old Negan, turned back around to that lowly pathetic uh, person who is you know down on his knees and begging her, you know, to to kill him. Now, but, of course, the first thing I thought was, okay, wait, Negan's always been very manipulative, though. So, is this, uh, um, you know, is this actually him just manipulating <laughs> her? Or... Getting close, ready, he could reverse the situation and things like that. But, yeah, like you said, he is begging, please, please, he's saying. and uh, But uh, she thinks that's uh, not the way he's going to go out and... That's too easy for her. Right, that's an easy know, way out. She would rather have him live um, in in this misery than to put him out of it. Yeah, he she made a connection about saying like how you know he looks at his bed and remembers his wife and and he goes she tells him like the last time that she saw Glenn uh, her husband that that's the memory she has and that was seeing him. Basically, getting his skull bashed in with his eye popping out, and, and that's how she describes it. And she asks Negan, you know, can you remember her voice? Mm, yeah. And he says, I, you know, I think so. Um, and she tells Negan, you know, that when she remembers uh, Glenn's voice, all she hears is, you know, the way he was saying Maggie. Um, you know, at, at the end, as his skull is crushed in and his eyes popping out of his face yeah, that she, is how she remembers you know that's that's the memory that she now has because of of negan's okay. actions and then going back to you know him wanting her to kill him then she's the one saying i'm not going to give you what you want because that's what he was begging and that's what decides her to turn around and he's actually he's just confused and you kind of see him at the most emotional you've ever seen that character as he's sitting there in tears and you know just upset and confused on why you know because she should you know he thinks that she should do that because of what he did to her and and then she turns around and then just starts making out with dante this uh, other character. which is another turn of events because he's been trying to pursue a relationship with her but she wasn't interested you know uh she's basically said that glenn was the only uh man you know you know even even being gone that uh that would still only be glenn so um yeah she uh she grabs him and kisses him and then walks on so maybe that that was the moment of closure that she needed you know even though she didn't you know once again she didn't give negan what he wanted there and she faced him you know and he, you know, she was in control there. That leaves Dante pretty speechless, huh? Yeah, <laughs> literally, because there's no word balloons. Well, he goes, uh, uh, um, and then... And, of course, uh, closing, if you had doubts about Negan's response and if he was just manipulating her, figuring that she would let him live, um, it, it ends with him taking his, his new Lucille, uh, the replacement bat, and throwing it into a fire and burning it.
So yeah, it was quite the emotional issue going in. You kind of feel, yeah, it is very Negan-centric and you know all the other characters. Uh, you know, It's a Negan episode, if you will. You'll kind of have that with The Walking Dead show where you'll get, you know, episodes, you know, centered around certain characters. That's what you get here, but then you kind of get the surprise that you didn't kind of expect all that. For right. this to become a monumental issue then. And, and yeah, and then it's funny that you mentioned that it's his 75th issue. Because um, you'd, you'd almost think of this as being an anniversary issue. And we're one issue away from 175, yeah. which would typically be like considered an, an anniversary issue. Um, so we're one shy of that, but it is his 75th. But yeah, it was it was pretty good. And you know, obviously he's done a lot of bad stuff. And this issue kind of, you know, you give perspective to those kind of villains. And you kind of see, you know, some of the... Once you see that, you know, Lucille relationship and just the stuff that he says. And it was, uh, yeah. I, I I have a question. I haven't read Walking Dead, the comic. I have watched the series. I watched the first 11 seasons. Um, and by the end of the 11th season, it's uh, one of the things I was thinking about today, because after reading Astonishing X-Men 6, I said, they got it right in this mm -hmm. arc. How far, you know. How do you time it? How do you move it along so that the story moves and we come to a place? And, um, in watching The Walking Dead, I kind of am at the place, and now I'm going to get myself in trouble with some of the listeners, I'm sure. I finally got to a point in Lost where I said, what? You're moving this along so slow. It's more like you're just dragging us along, getting us to watch more and more of it, rather than taking us on a journey that seems to be going anywhere. And so I stopped watching it at the end of the fourth season. And when they got, when people watched the end of the seventh, it was exactly where I thought they were going. It's like, well, why, why are you? And in some ways, I'm beginning to feel that way about Walking Dead. And I'm wondering if comic readers of Walking Dead have the same sense of, you know, this just, you're just dragging me along in the story. I don't think that the comic does it. Uh, Quite in the way that the TV show does. I mean, the TV show, that's their formula. It's like they have their introduction episode. You go half a season with Terrible. almost <laughs> nothing happening. You have your, your mid-season finale that finally you see a little something. It'll leave you on a cliffhanger. And then it comes back and maybe you'll have a strong episode or two. And then you get the kind of the same thing until it builds up and you get the end one. You could almost have like four really strong episodes of The Walking Dead in a season, um, and and leave. Well, for me, rest. the problem is more um, what I hoped for in The Walking Dead as I watched is that these people would struggle to maintain their humanity in the midst of a truly inhuman, gruesome situation. But what happens is they move along that arc for a while, and then they fall into the same inhumanity as everyone else around them. And then maybe for a while they kind of try to pull themselves, and then they fall right back. You know, so it's like, you know, what is the point then if you're not going to either have them totally throw in, <laughs> or you're not going to really have them struggle to become something more than this awful? Then all you're doing is kind of giving us this formulaic up and down. And the story's not going anywhere. It's just kind of going around. And that's how I felt with Lost. You're not going anywhere with the story. You're just trying to keep people watching to see what might pop up next. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're kind of 
kind of watching in hopes that you're going to get, you know, it's going to be one of those. There's going to be a payoff somewhere. Now, now, granted, overall, I enjoy The Walking Dead. Um, I've I've watched it. There are points though that I can go without it, uh, you know, and then I'll catch up on it later and I'll get in the mood to watch it. But but I can go long periods of time and not even care about the show, mm. um, which is unfortunate because it has. Uh, definitely has all the potential there to, mm. to be a really good show, and at times it is. Yeah. Um, and the comic book is similar. Um, I haven't read it regularly uh, for, for a while now, mm. um, but I'll pick it up and kind of see what's going on yeah. for a while, or I'll keep up on it, and every once in a while I see something really interesting, and I'm like, okay, i got to read this one. Um but actually, really about the time that they got to Alexandria in the comic, um, I, I started losing a little bit more interest. I think I, I just liked it better when they were out there surviving. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, and the more that they would build things up, the more I'd kind of lose lose interest. Um, not not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it's it's you would think that at some point they will try to rebuild society, and that's what they're they're doing. Um, but I guess for me personally, I, I found it more interesting when they were out there uh, surviving. <laughs> and you didn't know what was going to happen from issue to issue. Uh, once once you got to Alexandria and there's these new groups and everything else, you, it became, I guess, a little bit more predictable for me. Right. For me, the I mean, epi- season 10 or 11 in the show were the place where I became most disillusioned with the show. Because up till that point, they may have had to do hard things, but it was always with reluctance, and there was always a certain sense of, we have to try to be better. Then in season 10, you have Rick really say, if we're going to survive, we have to use the same tactics as everyone else who's out there. We have to become as harsh and brutal as they are if we want to survive. And that carried over then into season 11. And it was like, well, now you lost me. Before it was a struggle to maintain who you are in the midst of this terrible situation. Now it's like... Let's just become as animalistic and brutal as everyone else. <laughs> and then, and then at another point, then we're like, "Wait, there is hope, and we can be human and, and do this." And oh, yeah, well, I haven't that. seen twelve yet. I have it on my shelf. So, and it's like, oh, I'm just not sure. <laughs> yeah, it gets up and down. But I mean, I, I've got to say, as far as the Rick character, um, I, I've never really cared that much for Rick in the TV show. Um, I. But I like the character in the comics, so I, there is a difference there um, for me. But there is for a lot of characters. I mean, some characters are completely different between the show okay. and the comics. So. I didn't want to take us off on a real tangent, but I wanted to find out how is there a different feel about the comic than the show? Because the show is it's starting a, I to mean, wear it, on it, me. <laughs> it does. I mean, there are lulls in the comic as well. Um, well, I don't but, mind but, a lull. But you can say, you can say that for, for most comics yeah. out there, uh, especially one that's been going on for a while. But um, when things happen, you know, it's it's not like they have their mid-season finale that they can finally have something interesting happen. They'll go through through an arc, and there will be some... Um, sometimes they'll do some character building or introducing new things and whatever. Um, there might be some, some time where there's not really a lot going on, and it doesn't seem as interesting. But then they'll throw something in there. And it's a little bit more random how that works than the TV show, which is much more you know, of a formula. Yeah. Even this, as you were talking about this issue, I wanted to ask, because, I mean, Maggie in the show is one of the people I really like. I think she struggles. 
But here she becomes, well, I just want you to suffer. So I'm good. <laughs> Make you suffer more. You know, it's like, well, there you go. There's a good. <laughs> I can understand it from a human perspective. But again, you just have this kind of falling back right into the entropy that's going on in the world. <laughs> and um, I haven't read the comic book, so all I know is the TV show. But from what I've seen with Glenn in the show, maybe he's different in the book, or was different in the book, um, I think he probably would have put Negan out of his misery. Mm -hmm. And uh, from what Maggie's like in the show, I think maybe she would have had that in mind and would have tried to have done it to honor Glenn, in a way. She would have um, acted a bit more like Glenn. I'm surprised nobody's killed Negan, honestly, because from what he's done in the show, I can't yeah. believe nobody's killed him at this point. But. People ask that all the time. Why hasn't anybody killed Negan? And not, not even at the point that they're in now where he was kept a prisoner and stuff like that. Even when he was in charge of the saviors and stuff, the question would always come up, why hasn't anybody killed him? And they attempted to answer that. Um, Kind of in the show, but more a little bit more in the comic, where they'd establish that attempts were made, but um, he'd always get lucky. You know, like Lucille would take the bullet for him, or uh, and and things like that. And uh, because the the backlash from those attempts were so harsh that people stopped trying because nobody had been successful with the attempts that there were. Um, and so that that's kind of how they explained it. And I own every issue and uh, episode, and I think it's fun. So <laughs> <laughs> good stuff. <laughs> I think that will close out uh, the spoiler segment. We'll jump into non-spoilers. And the exact opposite of The Walking Dead is Rocco's Modern Life Number One. <laughs> yeah. Um, a cartoon from the 90s from Nickelodeon, a big fan of that. A lot of the Nicktoons, whether they be Rugrats, which there's a couple issues on the shelf right now that nice. just started a new series. Things like Ah, uh, Real Monsters, which I'm hoping gets a comic in the spirit of the way they're moving here. Rocco's Modern Life, that one I was drawn to, not only with this uh, gorgeous cover cool. here, but the, a cool cover. But yeah, the cartoon about a, a wallaby and his like cow friend and a turtle friend and uh, just living... Living life, you know, they live in a house and a bunch of animals live in their community and it's not spoken about that they're all animals that can talk. But the comic jumps into uh, Rocco being, to live up to the title, is the fact that it's his modern life. He's in the modern world. He's dealing with technology and things like that. Whereas, you know, the last time we've had a Rocco story, it was, you know, like the mid to late 90s. Things were a lot different since then. And uh, the comic just jumps us right into the current time to see how is Rocco dealing with his modern life. And if you're a fan of the show, I think uh, just with the art and the comedic style and the, the pacing of it and the, everything about this basically uh, is exactly like the television show. I think a lot of that happens when it comes to comics like Bob's Burgers. I know I've read some of that that's very similar to the cartoon counterparts and heard a lot of good things about you know adventure time and rick and morty and mm -hmm. all of those kind of things it seems like um the cartoons 
into the comic adaptations seem to flow pretty seamlessly when it comes to the same kind of entertainment. And a lot of times when you have these characters' voices in your head from the episodes, it's uh, pretty easy to uh, read the dialogue as you go through. And much like a normal um, Rocco's Modern Life episode, where it was always like two stories in one episode, mm -hmm. you do get a backup story in this, and uh, um, so it's done in that same format of a television episode as well. So, yeah, I, I highly enjoyed it, and even though I didn't, even though I liked the Rugrats a lot, I didn't pick up the comic just because you know there's a lot of comics out there, so you got to draw the line somewhere. But being so into this one actually sold me on an unrelated comic storyline-wise, and I think I want to pick up the Rugrats to see if it was done with that same sort of uh, love for the characters. And and I know it's a different set of uh, writers, I'm not sure about the artists, but uh, they do have a Q&A in the back and the writers are talking about growing up watching the show and the fact that they're writing the characters. So, so it's good to see that it's uh, being treated with the utmost care that it probably deserves. So. I'll be interested to see hear what you say about uh, Rugrats too, because while Rocco's Modern Life would not be a comic, I would say younger kids could uh, Rugrats would, and if yeah. it's really good, I think for some of the younger people who are who are maybe get, looking to get into comics, that's a good place to. to yeah, and like the themes of it, you know, like uh, it's definitely was for a you know a more mature audience while kids can enjoy it too because anything's going to go over you know kids heads and things like that but so yeah in the style of that i think it uh, stayed true to that part as well and um yeah and i busted out my complete series uh, dvd set <laughs> in preparation prior to reading this just to get all the voices back in my head and uh after about three or four episodes i just jumped right into the comic because i was kind of Brought you were back. Ready. Yeah, it's like a time portal. Went back, and then I came back, and now I'm in uh, the modern life with Rocco as well. So you know, it would be cool a Hey Arnold comic. I feel like that would translate really well. That would probably go. Yeah, yeah. yeah there's a lot of a lot of good stuff from there, and uh, with uh, Boom Studios, I believe is the one doing it, um, and Kaboom, which is their imprint there. Um, yeah, because Kaboom kind of does uh, a lot of the all ages stuff. Yeah, so I, I would think with Rugrats uh, being hit, and if people love this one, that you know we'll probably eventually see the other Nicktoons. Uh, one thing that I would get uh, above uh, Our Real Monsters is Doug. Oh yes, let's do that. I want to see what Doug's up to. So, yep. If you're a fan of the show, I think you'll be a fan of the comic, and you can continue the story right there. So, absolutely loved it. Superman number 36. All right, Superman 36. Um, this is an issue that also uh, wraps up a, a storyline that's been going on for a while. And uh, it, it would have been really easy to put this in with the spoilers, but uh, I'll see if I can handle a non-spoiler uh, thing here. Um, so this is another DC book where it's got some things going on that may or may not affect... Uh, DC Universe, but uh, to give a little background, um, Darkseid uh, is no longer in power on Apocalypse. Uh, I think currently he's running around as a teenager. He, he was reduced to a, <laughs> a, an infant at one point. I think he's up to teenager now, I believe. 
Um, so he's not in power, which leaves Apocalypse uh, without a ruler. There's about three different factions, uh, major factions that are all kind of vying for uh, that that title or being able to rule the planet. Um, you got the Granny Goodness, uh, Calabac, and uh, and another group um, that's made up of I, I think uh, it's like the Forever People mm -hmm. in there. Okay. Um, now that that last group. They have this this prophecy that they believe in, uh, that uh, somebody from Earth is going to come and, and take Darkseid's place and uh, and lead Apocalypse. Um, so throughout the you know the the series you know recent issues, uh, it's been hinted at that Lex Luthor, Lex Luthor. <laughs> was the the prophesized uh, person who is going to do this. So uh, in in this story. He's been brought to Apocalypse to, to lead them, and um, he sends a message to Superman for him to come rescue him. Uh, and so that's what this story is about, is uh, uh, Superman going to Apocalypse, uh, but not alone. Uh, it just so happens that he's got Lois and John, his wife and son, <laughs> Along They're going on vacation they, to they, they happen to be along <laughs> with them. I've seen the pamphlets. So, it's nice. <laughs> so, uh, so you've got the, the three of them um, going to uh, Apocalypse, and um, you know hilarity ensues. Uh, but, uh, so it's, uh, it's a good, interesting read, uh, especially if you're a big Superman fan like myself. Um, but... Uh, but it, it could potentially um, have an effect on the DC Universe because the story does end with a new ruler of Apocalypse. Um, so we'll, we'll see how that pans Sounds out, like... how it's going to work. Um, you know, it's, uh, I'll just say it's, it's not necessarily the expected uh, new ruler, but uh, from these three, three groups, uh, there, there will be a new ruler who emerges. Without giving anything away, I guess that's all I've got. <laughs> that's the trailer for the comic. All right, so um, I am excited about this movie that's coming out. It's pretty small, like it's really behind the scenes. It's called Space Conflict, and uh, like it's based off of this idea by this guy uh, named Lucas George. Oh. Um, anyway, so yeah, I was inspired. I've, yeah, I've never heard of anything that those, you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's very like, independent. Yeah, it's yeah. pretty underground at this point, but uh, you know, I think it's uh, we should check it out. It looks really cool. Uh, but anyway, uh, I wanted to bring in the Poe Dameron comics today. Um, I have the first one, and then issue twenty-one, which is our most recent one. So, um, all joking aside, I mean, I feel like maybe space conflicts like a ripoff of Star Wars. I, I mean, you know. It seems like a little bit bigger, but so anyway, uh, Poe Dameron is the current ace pilot uh, that we met in Star Wars The Force Awakens a couple years ago. Uh, he's coming back, and uh, anyway, in 2016, he got his own series. It's set before The Force Awakens. We know that the uh, First Order is a threat. The Republic is kind of sitting on their hands, not really doing much, but Princess Leia, now turned General or, uh, Organa Solo, 
is uh, trying to get things moving, and she selects Poe Dameron to recruit a team of crack X-Wing fighter pilots to look for adventurer Lor Santeca, because uh, they need to find information about the First Order, as well as uh, Luke Skywalker, Leia's brother, who is missing. Um, and obviously, the movie happens and ensues, um, and then this series keeps going, and so the team is flying adventures all around the universe, First Order keeps showing up, so we know something's going on there, and uh, they run into spies and betrayal and adventure, and there's a cool uh, sail barge race, and eventually uh, we do find out what's going on with Laura Santeca, find a little bit more about uh, what's up with Luke Skywalker. Uh, issue 21 is kind of wrapping that up, but uh, in between there's a lot of uh, adventure, high drama, um, really cool. I feel like you really come to like these characters. Um, Poe and BB-8 are just as funny and cool and slick as they are in the movie, and uh, you meet a lot of other cool people that you become attached to. Um, so this series started in 2016. Uh, next issue's coming out on December the 20th, so uh, a couple weeks from now. Uh, obviously, The Last Jedi is uh, going to be there in between that, so maybe things will tie in. I'm not sure. Uh, I'd like to see the series keep continuing either way. Um, for people who haven't read it, I think there's three volumes of trades, and I expect, you know, we'll be getting another one soon. But it's uh, it's been a lot of fun, and I think it's true to the spirit of Star Wars. Uh, people who are fans will like it. People who, you know, maybe have only seen The Force Awakens and haven't done a lot with the Star Wars Expanded Universe or other comics can really easily get into this. Um, you're introduced to the new characters right away. Um, you know, you probably know people like Princess Leia or Han Solo and C-3PO throughout uh, just you know, the kind of pop culture zeitgeist. And uh, yeah, a ton of fun. I definitely recommend it. And special shout out to the long boxes in the store. I, you know, I'd heard of this comic, hadn't really paid attention to it, and was just, you know, looking through the long boxes on my first couple of trips in and saw it and was like, oh, this looks really cool. Like, this guy's so funny. So, you know, I just picked it out on a whim and uh, found probably my favorite comic of the year. So definitely to podcast listeners, um, you know, long boxes are really great after you've put in your uh, pre-orders and you're waiting to find your new favorite, check out the long boxes. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the series as well. When it kicked off, much like the other Star Wars series from Marvel Comics, I was assuming a six-issue miniseries because that's what a lot of these are. The Lando Calrissian one, the Han Solo one, the Leia one. They're mm -hmm. all kind of structured in that four to six issue uh, format. So I thought it was going to be the same for Poe and it was going to fill you know the gaps leading up to Force Awakens, as you were saying. And uh, then when I got issue seven, then when I got issue 15, then issue 21, I realized that it's gone way beyond mm -hmm. that. And I don't know if that was due to just the success of the story or if that was their intention all along that, yeah, we had this... You know, ongoing story, and uh, I've been enjoying that one as well. Um, a little nugget of tease for the comics, which maybe happened at the beginning of the year, maybe even last year at this time, there to kind of show you the importance of connecting it with the movies. As we saw in Force Awakens, that Han Solo had two two pirate groups after him that he you know owed money for and everything. And there's a little scene that's happening in the background of one of these like middle of the series issues mm -hmm. where uh, C-3PO is blabbing his mouth as he usually yeah. does. And you see these recognizable characters from the movie, these gang, these yep. pirate members. And you see them on two like separate tables and you see that like 
they're like something's happening in the background while the main post story is going on um and you see them basically find out where han solo is that he's kind of like you know dealt with both of these teams and realized wait he you know you know screwed you over too he screwed us over and yeah. <laughs> and you kind of see them leave essentially to jump into the force awakens yeah. storyline so that's a fun little thing that's not even part of the main story of poe yeah. but they're using that continuity and kind of giving you a little con- you know connective tissue mm-hmm. and every time i try to sell this series i always go to that little yeah. little piece and uh yeah, it's, it's an awesome book. So. Well, jumping off of that, there is, and I don't know if this is intentional, but way, you know, back in like the 70s and 80s, Marvel had uh, the license for Star Wars comics, and I picked up the, kind of like a reprint book of the original Star Wars comics. There's a couple villains um, that I feel like are very similar, like they merged the, the, you know, the two parts of those guys into one of the main villains in here, so I'm kind of like, ooh, I wonder if, you know, that's just something that I'm transposing or if, you know, they actually intended that. So that was really kind of neat. Um, obviously, Marvel has now gotten the license back from Dark Horse, and um, I do recommend the Dark Horse line as well. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler, but there's another C-3PO instance in um, the Podameron stories where we find out that um, C-3PO is essentially a spy master, which just cracks me up to no end. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost a shame that 3PO only got a one-shot issue, which is fantastic. Ooh, there was a one-shot that maybe came out a year, year and a half ago or so, that I'll just, the the reason for the story is to explain his red arm that oh, you see. Yeah, and uh, so they had a one-shot, but yeah, you see him as a, you know, in the current Star Wars main title and taking place between episodes four and five, you see him in here and, you know, he's, he's always in all these books mm-hmm. and, uh, seeing how entertaining he is. Um, I think he deserves his, uh, ongoing series too. Sometimes you should make it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Charles soul can write it because he writes a lot of the star Wars stuff and he's awesome. So. Yeah. He is really cool. <laughs> so yeah, good. Well, I'm still pushing Spirits of Vengeance. I'm not sure anybody here is willing to read it so far. But I mean, I love cosmic stories, you know, that have cosmic implications. And Spirit of Vengeance definitely has that. Just to give you the little trailer at the beginning. For eons, the scales balancing the supernatural realms have held steady until now. What you find in the comics is that every so often, heaven and hell have to have a meeting and decide what the rules of the game is. Mm. So, you know, they renegotiate how they're going to function so there's not an all-out war. And um, there's a group that wants to throw the negotiations into chaos so that there'll be a war between heaven and hell. That's their their, um, attempt. And so a group has come together to stop that, made made up of... um, I think a really interesting mix of people. You've got Ghost Rider, um, Blade, who have been together in other comics. But then Damien Hellstrom, um, the son of Satan, and his sister Satana, who's still kind of evil. And so these four are now working together to stop this from happening. Um, in this particular issue, they were try- from the beginning, they're trying to find out the significance of somebody came and gave Johnny Blaze a silver bullet. And somehow this silver bullet is a part of the whole plot. And so they're for the first punch, they're really trying to figure out what that is. Um, 
you get a little more of a sense of what they're doing in this particular issue and where it's going to lead. But also another great part of this is some of the interaction between the four two because they're not simpatico. <laughs> Especially Damien Hellstrom and his sister. They don't function in quite the same way. So in fact they have and they have a scene where um uh Satana, Damien's sister, and Blade go to this kind of creepy dive bar where dark entities dwell and everybody keeps asking, You didn't bring your brother with, did you? <laughs> <laughs> um, and so there's obviously these tensions going on, but it's been, you know, this kind of cosmic stakes with these four being the linchpin around it has made a, a really interesting story so yeah. far. Good, good, so, good. One question. Who actually is Ghost Rider in this book? Is Johnny, Johnny Blaze, Blaze is, Johnny Blaze is back. Yeah. Is Ghost Rider. That's Blaze pretty cool. Back. And then over in the Thanos book, uh, we talked about, I think it was in last episode or maybe the episode before, um... But uh, or that might have just happened in the store. I don't know if I brought that one to the table. Um, but there's a, a future Ghost Rider happening in the Thanos book, mm -hmm. and uh, yeah, we haven't quite figured out that identity yet. So there's Ghost Riders everywhere. Yep, Dan Ketch, Johnny Blaze, some guy on a horse. <laughs> <laughs> Pick your Ghost Rider. I always like Johnny Blaze best, so this fits into my. Yeah, Johnny Blaze is always my favorite. I'd go back and read like the originals and trade paperbacks, and I like the one in Shield, but Johnny Blaze is always my favorite. Yeah, you get the impression at the very beginning of the storyline that Johnny Blaze is um, trying to get away from being the Ghost Rider, but every time he does, something just sucks him back. Yeah. <laughs> Been there. Um, Batman number thirty-six. Um, as I've stated uh, before. We know that Batman and Selina Kyle, Catwoman, um, there was a proposal, there's an acceptance, they're engaged. And this kicks off a new arc which uh, has Superman on the cover. Um, this is much like the uh, Batman, was it the annual that I was talking about? Where it's a kind of, yeah, it was a Batman annual that came out uh, last week or the week before. And which kind of gave you a future that just jumped right into the future and you kind of saw this relationship play through. Well, now we're back in the current timeline where, uh, you know, they're, they're newly engaged. And this issue is almost like two comics in one in the sense that you're going back and forth, sometimes page to page, sometimes panel to panel, as Lois Lane and Clark are uh, arguing about, you know, Clark, you should probably call, you know, Batman and, you know, thank, you know, congratulate him on the on the engagement. And then you see the other side of the story where it's Batman and Catwoman being like, well, you know, Bruce, maybe you should be calling Superman. You know, you guys are friends, aren't you? <laughs> and this, this issue, I believe, is actually titled Super Friends. And this is... This is the bromance issue of Batman and Superman written by Tom King. This was highly entertaining... Uh, very hilarious, and it was very interesting to kind of see the relationship of these two characters and what they see in each other as they're you know talking to their significant other, and it's uh it has a very interesting way to kind of take both of their stories happening in this book to kind of bring them together, and yeah, it was just a whole lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I absolutely love that one. Um. Yeah, they, the Batman-Superman 
relationship. Um, <laughs> the bromance. You know, it, it, it had gone through some, some changes because, you know, you had the new 52 um, and up until Rebirth where you still saw kind of this distrust. Um, I, I mean, I guess Batman's always had a certain level of distrust for Superman, even uh, being friends, which is why he would keep uh, the kryptonite on hand and things like that. But uh, I think it there was more distrust uh, in the, the, the New 52 era. Um, and then when uh, the pre-New 52 Superman came back into things and... There was there was that new distrust because okay who's this version? So at some point you know you had the Superman Reborn storyline which completely changed uh, everything in Superman because it, it it merged the New Fifty Two with the pre New Fifty Two versions of that character, and um, there there wasn't like some okay this is this is how the Batman Superman relationship is now. Um, there was no explanation for anything. It was just kind of like, this is how it is. And it seems to be more like back to uh, how it had been uh, pre-New 52 era. So um, there's there's some unanswered questions about that for people who are wondering how continuity has changed because of, of the, the meddling <laughs> that's gone on. Um, so yeah, seeing something outside of just the typical working relationship in a Justice League comic or Trinity or whatever, um, getting to see some of that, that bromance, as you put it, uh, going on aside from that, you know, it's kind of nice for, for, for people who still aren't sure, you know, what's okay, what's going on, how has that changed in uh, the last year or so? Yeah, I think this issue will definitely clear a little things up and kind of, uh, put you on the right track to figure out where they're sitting with each other. So, yeah, very good. From Batman to Dead Man. <laughs> yep, I'm still enjoying Dead Man. It's now in nice. issue two. Um, Dead Man has always been an interesting character to me uh, with his inability to do anything unless he possesses another person. That's basically all he can do. He's essentially a ghost who was recruited to bring about the balance in the universe and um, sent back here to um, balance things out between, uh, especially it seems when something is, um, somebody's been, has killed someone in an unreasonable way or in some way that may mess up the continuity of things, he's the guy who fixes it or stops them or whatever. Um, but in this particular series, he's back to try to get the guy who killed him initially. And so that's the the crux of the series. This particular issue is interesting. It takes you on some real twists you don't expect. Um, and the for me, the real delight of this issue is he finally gets part of you know the whole essence of there are a couple people who are involved in his death and he has one of them who's ready to kill them and suddenly all these cosmic entities show up of the DC universe and you'll have to read it to figure out which ones but they're all saying kill him don't kill him stop and, and so he's now left with what <laughs> <laughs> Put it to uh, a vote. <laughs> Same trouble we all had with the management. So. so, you know, his quest for vengeance has taken an odd turn somewhere along the way. Um, 
So that, to me, that's even more delightful. When you get some interesting twists, that's always a good thing. <laughs> good, good. Uh, keep it in the DC family to top it off here. DC Holiday Special 2017, number one. Uh, this is a $9.99 book because it serves as almost like a mini trade paperback in a way. This has 11 festive fables uh, from some of comics' greatest creators. So a bunch of different artists and writers coming together to tell uh, 11 different stories um, that kind of begins and ends with, uh, kind of bookend with a Superman story. And they're all kind of around uh, you know Christmas time and kind of focusing on that. Um, there's a couple hit or miss ones, mostly for me that, you know, if I'm not familiar with some of the characters when it comes to like DC or something, like if it was a, a Marvel holiday special, that's probably something a little more in my wheelhouse that I know a little more about, but that didn't stop me from enjoying the book overall. Um, especially, uh, the main sell of this, cause I was told in the previews that, uh, there's a Swamp Thing story in here, so Swamp oh. Thing, Christmas, I mean, so they just, they could have just printed that on two pages and sold it for $9.99 and I would have bought it, but um, thankfully I got a bunch of other good stories. Um, I'm not one much for reading uh, uh, Green Arrow stories at all, haven't really dove into the character and never really attached to the show at all, um, and right off the bat you get a Green Arrow and Canary story that actually turned out to be kind of one of my favorite ones, and uh, so yeah, there's, there's just a big variety pack of uh, a bunch of Fun, you know, family-friendly little stories. They mostly feel good if it's like past holiday specials that yeah, and, DC has done. <laughs> and there's a little like there's a you know like a Deathstroke story in there that you know when it comes to like the the reading level of it, you know, it it, it fits in tone with the characters and um, but there is like an emotional side to a lot of that kind of stuff too. And you know, I think it all revolves around family for the most part, as you. Mm-hmm as you think about the holidays and all that kind of stuff. But, yeah, overall, it was a, a pretty nice festive read. So. And there's a really good Rorschach story in there, right? Oh, yes, yeah, <laughs> which is funny, yeah, because I was... So, yeah, I was reading this on Wednesday here at the store, and as I'm going through, and I'm trying to find the page there... Rorschach, Christmas um, Day, <laughs> there, there, There's not a Rorschach story. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. See, I, I'm flipping through, I finished, uh, finished one of the stories, and I thought it was jumping right into a Rorschach Christmas. Oh, it's like, just a doomsday. Yeah. yeah. And I'm yeah, just it, like... It's one of those... Uh, Times where you're you're into the story and you flip to an advertisement and initially you know it takes you that second to realize okay this isn't this is a story. <laughs> I got the Francesco Francavilla art in the previous story. He's one of my favorite artists, and then I jump into this and yeah, I'm like, wow, they're really not wasting any time on connecting the Watchmen and DC. I thought we we're gonna have to wait 12 months to see how it all connects, but here they are. But no, that was just an ad, as uh, as I found out. But a um, Rorschach Christmas. <laughs> that would be interesting. It's a very Rorschach Christmas. Well, by by this time next year for 2018, um, you know the clock tower, the Watchmen Doomsday Clock will be uh, wrapped up. So maybe there will be one. There will be one. DC executives will be listening to this podcast as they probably do. So they're probably writing as we as we talk here. Well, you know, if they are, then they should know that if they could work it out to do some sort of Marvel DC thing. Yeah. Um, if, if there were a Silver Surfer Swamp thing crossover, Anthony God, would buy Anthony. like a hundred copies. Yeah. Like, yeah or we talked about last week uh, if they had like Marvel Muppet 
sorts of things like they did in DC with yeah. so Warner cool. Brothers. So yeah, last summer they did DC and Looney Tunes together and uh, we somehow jumped into that and it, for the next 10 minutes we were just pairing up all of the characters. Sabretooth and Rizzo. That was hilarious. I, you know, Craven the Hunter and Animal, like things like that where you, where you take Let's that in. Yeah. And like it kept going. We had at least 12 ideas that we would have probably all purchased. So that's another thing. Marvel, DC, Independence, you're listening. Um, we're going to buy your stuff. So. Mm-hmm. so, yeah, I think that will conclude it for the non spoiler segment. And now, the news. All right, so news for today. Uh, first uh, first topic that we're covering is uh, Scarlet Strike Force. And this will interest David here because... Which he, David? Uh, There's three Kurt, other Kurt's David. dad, David. The, the youngin. <laughs> the youngin, who is... Uh, uh, a reader of IDW's G.I. Joe titles and, and various mm. other Hasbro-related titles. Uh, Scarlet Strike Force, a uh, relaunch of IDW's main ongoing G.I. Joe series following the company's first strike event, is set to debut in comic book stores on December 27th, but the book has already been canceled oh. with no issues planned after number three, ending the series on a cliffhanger. Uh, IDW has stated that the cancellation is due to low sales, but others are left wondering if ongoing controversy surrounding series writer Aubrey Sitterson uh, influenced the decision. Uh, this year, on the 16th anniversary of the September, the September 11th terrorist attacks on New York City and Washington, D.C., Sitterson tweeted, Oh good, it's self-centered national tragedy remembrance from people who weren't even anywhere near New York City Day. Hmm. Hmm. The tweet didn't receive much attention until a day later uh, when the G.I. Joe fan site Yojo.com posted on Facebook that it would no longer promote anything from IDW Publishing while Aubrey Sitterson is involved with G.I. Joe or any other Hasbro brand. This was followed by IDW distancing itself from Sitterson's 9-11 tweet and Sitterson, who lived in New York City during the time of the attacks, providing further context to his comment on Twitter underlining the difference he sees between sincere remembrances and self-centered ones. Uh, Sitterson was already the subject of controversy from a faction of G.I. Joe fans uh, because of some of his writing choices, story choices, uh, bringing in characters who had been... uh, male characters, and now, uh, like, uh, there's a female Salvo, who's a character that was uh, male, and some of the other stories that he's done have, have uh, kind of not gone over well with uh, some of, uh, particularly, the like, the alt-right fan base. Um, so there's been some controversy about his, his writing story, you know, writing style and choices, um, so this one kind of seems to have sent some of them over the edge and there is a big social media, uh, thing that, that, that rose from it. Um, so a lot of people are left wondering right now, is it in fact the low sales, you know, from a book who has, which hasn't even started yet, or is there more to it? IDW maintains that the decision to cancel Scarlet Strike Force was based solely on the low initial orders. So, um, from the uh, comic book store 
ordering standpoint, uh, we know that the initial orders are those orders that people are placing, you know, from the, the previous catalog and, and stuff like that. So again, if there's something coming up that, uh, that you're interested in, always a good idea to put those initial orders in because the series might not last long, um, okay. you know, w without those. If you're interested in characters and series and writers and artists, then, yeah, you show your support by pre-ordering for them. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, don't know what the actual reasoning is behind it, one way or the other, but, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of controversy out there surrounding that right now. David, uh, I know you're a little bit behind on yeah. some of the, the writing. You still have uh, some of that... Uh, um, event uh, crossover thing to, to get through but yeah the, the book that's G.I. Joe was supposed to be changing or will be changing to Scarlet Strike Force and you can look forward to that ending early at uh, number three and now nice. we know and knowing's half the battle okay and then uh, the last little bit um not a lot of good, solid news to go off of here, uh, so it's kind of in the rumor mill uh, stages right now. But for several weeks now, there have been things flying back and forth about Disney, uh, who owns Marvel, uh, buying uh, Fox. And, uh, you know, this has got uh, a lot of fans pretty excited because they think, oh, well, now... We can see the X-Men and the Fantastic Four joining the MCU. And the Silver Surfer. <coughs> uh, yes, yes, and the Silver What's Surfer. That? Particularly the Silver, Silver Surfer. Surfer. Who could maybe be used by the time they get around to doing the uh, the second uh, part of the Infinity War uh, yes. thing. Maybe, you know, could we'll be. see. But, <laughs> all right. Now, this has been kind of an on-again, off-again thing. Most recently, it's on-again. And things are sounding like they're going pretty well. Um, by uh, close of business uh, Friday, yesterday, um, what was coming out was that they are in the, uh, as they put it, uh, the fine print stages of the deal. Um, so things seem like, you know, maybe, maybe this time around things are going better. I think there's still some, uh, like the FCC and stuff like that has to get involved and going over everything just to make sure everything is legal and legitimate because um, each of these companies owns so many different things. Uh, the deal would not include uh, the, the, uh, the news broadcasting and the sports uh, parts of Fox. Um, that would remain as Fox. Um, but it would give Marvel back, you know, its rights for all of its... Well, most of its characters, uh, yeah. because Universal still has uh, distribution rights, I believe, for uh, for Hulk. Uh, but a lot of the characters that they haven't been able to, to touch, uh, which caused Including a lot of Including the first family of Marvel. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and their good friend, the Silver Surfer. Uh, <laughs> now, interestingly, there is one other <laughs> unexpected uh, thing that uh, that would come from this. You see, <laughs> eh, not that good, but it's yeah. good. That's all right. It's it, it seems, well, Fox has currently has the TV rights for Batman, <laughs> <laughs> which would give, which is essentially giving Marvel 
the Batman TV rights. <laughs> what? They have they have the rights to the '66 Batman show. Chris Evans show. for Batman. I, you hear and got them. Oh, it would not allow it would not uh, allow them to do a new Batman uh, TV show, which which is unfortunate because it would be interesting. pretty interesting to see how they would handle Batman. that. Five but Marvel. it does. But it would give them Gotham and '66 Batman. Wow. <laughs> that Marvel. <laughs> Hang on. Yeah, he's been. Shocked. Holy cow, Batman! I know. <laughs> Marvel on the rights. Batman '66 and Gotham. That's. Wow. That, that's serious. You're being serious. Right that's one hundred percent. Jokes. Yes. Wow. Making way for the Marvel <laughs> TV shows. <laughs> Batman, Dark Claw. We cannot have Dark Claw. <laughs> and as you alluded to about, you know, Avengers Infinity War and all that, here's a little insight. Uh, young David heard this in our meeting at the Dairy Cooler this morning as we yeah. talked about the subject. Um, I told. Yeah. Uh, Not the water cooler talk. Yeah. It's a dairy cooler. We, we met around the Dairy Cooler. Um, <laughs> and. Uh, when Sony has the rights to Spider-Man and they were in talks of, you know, possibly cutting a deal with Marvel to share the character for their universes, um, Kevin Feige, Marvel Studios movie president, he had two paths for the MCU. Path over here was if they had the rights to Spider-Man, so character being, you know, casted and put into Civil War, leading to his movie and where that would take all of the characters if Spider-Man existed. There was another path that they had if the deal went through and they didn't have the access to Spider-Man. And uh, that all worked out for them. They got Spider-Man. So knowing Kevin Feige and him announcing that uh, after the end of this first 22 movies uh, that'll be closing out next year, um, he has plans for at least 20 more that are part of the connected MCU. And I'm starting to believe that he has this plan where one path is with the Fantastic Four and X-Men, one is without them. And thinking that, you know, Avengers 4 is coming out in a year and a half, they're about halfway through filming it right now, it would feel rushed uh, on one side of it being like, oh, they just got them, so now they're going to rewrite and refilm their movie. Well, it's possible that they have this plan in motion if they end up signing this deal within the next week or two, that then they just move to point B, being like, all right, let's get to casting, let's get to filming, we have these placeholders, here's the version of the script that allows for the a cameo, much like Spider-Man in Civil War, a cameo for the Fantastic Four and the X-Men to kind of throw them in this big team-up movie that's rumored to have 60-plus characters. Um, when you add up all the current characters, there still seems to be some missing, and they said we're going to hear some, uh, have some new characters showing up in these movies, and maybe that, that batch of new characters are characters we know from the comics, but haven't been in the cinematic universe. Right. I, I think what, uh, we would expect to see more, um, short term, uh, from this would be the effects, um on the, uh, the upcoming, like, uh, Fox movies, um, you know, the, the plans for, like, the Black Cat Silver Sable project and some of those, uh, those other Spider-Man related shows that, or shows, whatever, yeah. uh, <laughs> movies that, 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 that Fox has planned that aren't 
MCU related like Spider-Man is. So they're kind of like different universe from even Spider-Man. Um, I would uh, I would imagine that those probably would not even happen. Or yeah. if they, or if they do happen, then they're down the road a ways, you know, that they would be included in the the MCU. Well, and it would do it would allow some interesting things on the existing shows too. In humans, you could include the growing tension between mutants and inhumans um, if you get the rights to both together. Um, uh, and also speaking uh, TV implications uh, or streaming services, because Disney is working on mm-hmm. uh, putting together their own streaming service. However, Fox uh, owns a decent percentage of Hulu. Oh, that's right. So that would... It, it it seems as though that would also be in the deal. So then Disney would have a percentage of Hulu, and that might affect um, also the the streaming service side of things. Uh, Kurt, when I told him what I just told you uh, earlier today, I had said like, "Oh, what if that happens with Fantastic Four making their little cameo debut and then leading to next, you know, the year twenty twenty, which they have yet to announce their slate of movies to see a Fantastic Four movie in the MCU." And then he threw out something that got me very excited. What if they threw out a teaser? They haven't yet showed like the subtitle logos or anything for Avengers 4, as we're still just working up to Infinity War here. And what if Avengers 4 was the Avengers logo and then the classic 4 with a circle? Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. He said that, and that just got me too excited, so I'm going to send some tweets to Kevin Feige and see what we can do to <laughs> make that happen. And, uh, and, of course, you know, the X-Men... I'm a big X-Men comic fan, but I've been uh, underwhelmed by the movies. We'll say that politely. Um, and, of course, you know, for, for me, this is exciting because this might be a way to get uh, X-Men movies as, as I'd like to see them. Um, and even though uh, Hugh Jackman has said that he would return as Wolverine if it could be with the Avengers, That'd be cool. um, I, I think that would what would be great to see would actually just be a complete reboot of, of the X-Men um, in continuity, you know, with, with the rest of the MCU. And one of the reasons with Spider-Man with having, you know, yet another recasting after Andrew Garfield, rather than, you know, shepherding him into the new universe, Kevin Feige very much wanted to let people know that, you know, the movies that he did not make are not part of their world stuff with continuity like well why didn't they're in new york why don't they ever talk about the avengers in those spider-man movies and so him to disconnect from and make sure and that's why even with the marvel logo that appears in the movies um in the last year or so they started to tack on the studios above their logo having a new opening because when you see a fox marvel movie you saw the flipping of the pages and right you, you would get see the a comic book uh, yeah. version of the logo in right. Some projects and, you, and other projects you see the live action, the, the, the so, studio. So you saw that for a Sony Spider-Man and Fox X-Men and Fantastic Four, as well as Disney, Marvel, you know, Avengers, Iron Man and all that. And so they wanted to really distance themselves by adding, you know, Marvel Studios to their logo and shaking it up to let people know, like, yeah, these aren't associated with characters we aren't writing. And I would agree with you that 
as awesome as it would be to see, you know, Hugh Jackman after 20 years to, because he's talked about, you know, it'd be awesome to. At this point, maybe if they did Old Man Logan. <laughs> I was going to say, they would come back as Old Man Logan. <laughs> um, but yeah, ultimately, I think it would be a, a clean slate because that Kevin Feige would, you know, they didn't make those movies. And that's as simple as that. And they don't want to be. Yeah. And, and one joke tweet that went out from Chris Evans that if this deal goes through. Ah. He said, who do I talk to on getting a Captain America and Human Torch team-up movie? Because he played both of those characters. <laughs> so it's fun to see, you know, just the fun things that'll never happen. Yeah. But jokes. Hashtag kidding, yeah. not kidding. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, that movie would make at least $80 million opening weekend. And I'm not even counting if you guys go and see it. I'm just talking about I bet you do it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't, yeah. So... Well, gentle people, I must go. Well, I think we're all going to go, so okay. this will be a great round uh, this whole time. Ben Anthony. David. Katie. Other David. And Kurt's dad. <laughs> to be continued. Thanks for listening. The Crimson Cowl Comic Club is recorded live from Crimson Cowl Comics and Collectibles at 1749 Barton Avenue in West Bend, Wisconsin. For more information, visit us online at www.crimsoncowl.com.